0: God. Uh, hello, once again, Grace Point family. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. i got to tell you, during worship, uh, I was worshiping and I heard the voices singing. I was expected to turn around and see his place packed. I guess those of you who are singing, believe what you're singing this morning. Uh, amen. God's present with us. Uh, it's good to be back together with you last week. Uh, my family and I were battling some sickness. It was an interesting week last week. My uh, daughter had gotten sick, and so I said, oh, it's kind of in the house, maybe get it too, and so I let Pastor Floyd know, I think it was Thursday, he might have to be ready uh, to preach for me on Sunday, and then Saturday he called me, and he sounded worse than me, <laughs> and so I reached out to Pastor Jose, I said, brother, you're it, man, and I'm so thankful for Pastor Jose that he stepped in last week and, and shared a word, amen, uh, shared about being witnesses, and, and really uh, it, it's kind of a lead into where we are are going as a church, Um we're going to kick off a new series today in the in the book of Acts, and I got to be honest with you. I don't know how long we're going to spend in this book. You remember one time we spent eight weeks in one chapter in Romans, so it could be a little while. Uh, I was trying to lay out the messages and think about where we're going, and we could be in Acts for a year. Well, I'll just be honest with you, but I believe whatever time we're there is going to be fruitful. As we were preparing to enter into this new year, I was praying in December, Lord, where do you want us to go? And, Part of our discipleship journey had us going into the Book of Acts, but it was actually at our, our Christmas concert when Paul Balash was with us, it, it was funny, it was like the Lord just dropped that in my head, the Book of Acts, the Book of Acts. And so I called a good friend of mine who, who pastors down in, in, in Virginia, and I said, you know, what are you thinking about doing for the new year? Like, where are you guys going as a church? He said, I don't know, I think we're going to go in the Book of Acts and just spend a while there. And I said, all right, all right, Lord, I hear you. And so that's where we're going today. Um, it was 26 years ago when I was doing my DTS, my discipleship training school with youth of the mission. Um, I was preparing to go out to the mission field. I knew I was going to Japan and as I was preparing, I, I began reading in the book of Acts and I just remember God giving this holy expectation of what he was going to do. and so that's my desire for us guys, as we spend some time in this book that the Lord would give you a holy expectation for what he's going to do. The book of Acts is an amazing, amazing book. Of all the books in the New Testament, actually it is the most historically verifiable. It's filled with names and locations, that many of which can be confirmed by archaeology. And, and really this book gives us the foundation for the early church. It tells us how the gospel spread and how it really thrived in the midst of some great persecution. Now, if you have your note sheet. You, I want to encourage you to pull one out, maybe get a little more light in the house so you can um, fill that out today. We are, again, kicking off our community groups this week. I want to encourage you, if you haven't found one, find a community group. Get plugged in, because our desire is not that you just come on a, a Sunday morning and get some knowledge in your head or your heart, but that what you learn here on a Sunday would be applied to your life, okay? And that's what our community groups are about. They meet twice a month. It allows you to sit with other believers and, and, and discuss this. And so here's what we're going to be talking about for a little while is, uh, God, what would you want your church to look like today? think if we're talking about the church of today and what it should look like, it's helpful to go back to the church in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts was written by who? Luke, Luke. Luke, all right, you guys are good. Uh, He actually, it's interesting, he actually wrote most of the New Testament. Now, you would probably say, well, wait, didn't Paul write most of the New Testament? Well, In in fact, the fact is, Luke wrote more words than Paul, okay? Luke was a uh, a physician, he was a doctor, He, he was also a historian, and so he was very thorough in his research and in his writing. He was always meticulous with the details. That's what you'll see in the book of Acts. Now, without his careful writings, we would know very little about the beginning of the Christian church, but Acts helped take us back to our roots. If you're looking for a time frame for the book, most scholars believe that it was written in the mid to late 60s, not the 1960s, the 60s, right, the first 60s, approximately 62 AD, they believe that this book was written, because the book really ends with with Paul under house arrest in Rome. Now, when I studied the book of Acts in seminary, we didn't study Acts by itself, okay, Uh, it goes together with Luke, the class was actually called Luke-Acts, okay. Because the gospel named after Luke is really volume 1 and Acts is really volume 2. Luke is writing to a man by the name of Theophilus. His name means God-lover or God-beloved. Now, in the opening of Luke's gospel, if you go back there, he's referred to as the most excellent Theophilus. Meaning, he was likely a person of high rank in the government. And Luke's purpose in writing both of these letters is clearly stated... In Luke chapter 1, verse 1, it gives us a clue as to why Luke wanted to give Theophilus this account. Luke 1, 1 says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been told. Now, some scholars say, again, Theophilus is this high-ranking government official who they would say he, he was informed about like, kind of the political dangers of Christianity, and so he's going to Luke to kind of get some facts about what it, what's really, this what's really all about. But what I see here in Luke is really uh, the teaching of a new Christian who needed instruction in the faith, because when you look together at both Luke and Acts, they're really the words of a teacher to a receptive learner. Luke said, I want you to have certainty of the things that you've been taught. I want you to, to be sure about them. Now, the first three verses of chapter one of the book of Acts give us the prologue, okay? This is where Luke states the purpose, and he really gives us the central theme of the book of Acts. Again, we have to understand Acts as a continuation account of Jesus' life from his birth to his ascension. And then Luke and Acts really overlap, okay? Acts chapter 1 begins by restating the concluding verses of the gospel accounts, but with some greater detail and some greater insight. If you're there, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do, and teach in the first book. Again, that's the Gospel of Luke, right? That's the story of the Incarnation, that that God became flesh. He said, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Really, Jesus' life and his, his three years of ministry put into perspective here. They're the first act of an unfolding drama, if you will. And really, we are kind of put center stage with Jesus here because the reality is We can know him with greater intimacy than even his disciples did during those three years of ministry. But but that word began, if you have your Bibles, underline that, circle that word, okay? Began is so key because you need to understand that what Jesus began, he continues today. You see, that's good news to Theophilus, but it's also good news to us, isn't it? Right? That he he is still Emmanuel, God with us. The the Gospel of Luke is Emmanuel, God with us. And the, the, the book of Acts is God is still with us, right? He's working by his Holy Spirit through his church. And so Luke is clear with Theophilus that the previous book was all about what Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus was really just the beginning. And so in, in the book of Acts, he's going to begin to unpack Jesus' ascension. We're going to learn about his headship. We're going to learn about how he works in his body, which is the church. Understand that what Jesus began to do and teach during those three years of ministry on earth, he now continues to do through his body, which is the church. You see, the Gospel of Luke makes it clear that Jesus' life was affirmed in the Scriptures. In fact, Luke tells us that after the resurrection... Jesus appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and and he showed them all things concerning himself throughout all of Scripture. Shortly after that, Jesus appears in the room, right, where the disciples are hiding. Luke 24, verse 44 tells us that he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, In the law of Moses, did you know there were things written about Jesus in the law of Moses? And the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. We talked about it in our series in the book of Hebrews some time back, right? About how all the things in the Old Testament are types and shadows of the coming Messiah. And here's what you're going to see in the book of Acts. You're going to see that Christ is preached from Scripture. In other words, he's preached from the Old Testament. Again, again, they're going to go back, this is what that means, this is what that was all about. There are some great sermons preached in the book of Acts, and probably the greatest sermon is, is preached by Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And in that, in that message, Stephen goes back into Jewish history. He goes back and points back to this is what that meant and he eventually ends up accusing those that are in front of him of killing the Messiah. And it's such a convicting sermon that Stephen ends up dead. Like they stoned him, right? Can I just say, I think far too many preachers today don't want to offend But the gospel is offensive. And truth is offensive. I'm not saying we should be offensive. But again, truth is offensive. It was C.H. Spurgeon who said truth is of necessity intolerant of error. And and I think preachers of truth, we should be hated a little bit more, all right? You ought to leave here some Sundays a little more upset with me, okay? Um, Because truth, it it, it ought to challenge us, right? It ought to offend at times. Now, both of Luke's letters to Theophilus explain this, that history hinged upon two things, really. Two things, write these down. Number one, the life of Christ. History hinged upon the life of Christ. And number two the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you take some time to go back into the Old Testament, to go back into the law that was given by God to Moses, you will see that these laws were some of the most advanced that the world had ever seen at that point. Some of the laws gave instruction for for hygiene, for prevention of diseases that didn't make any sense in that time, but we understand them today, right? It's a good thing to wash your hands, right? We know that. But really, the most important thing that the law brought people to realize was that mankind was in rebellion against God, and this rebellion was so serious that blood had to be shed. And along with that understanding came this realization that it was impossible to keep all of God's laws. And so Over and over again, you see in the Old Testament, you you see this cycle. It's this cycle of blessing and prosperity, right? The people of God have the blessing of God. They're they're prosperous. And when they're prosperous, what do they do? They turn away from God in the midst of prosperity. And then comes the judgment, and then there's repentance, right? And it starts all over again. Blessing and prosperity, turning away from God, judgment and repentance. We can see that in our own lives sometimes, too, right? That, That same cycle. But all throughout the Old Testament, there are these glimmers of hope. Isaiah 9, 7, there's this promise of a future king from the line of David. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, we know that a blessing was coming to the whole world through the lineage of Abraham. A king was coming that would reign in righteousness forever. And so the rabbis predicted that when he came to establish his kingdom, there would be an abundant outpouring of his spirit. The prophets, Joel in particular, spoke of a day that was coming when the spirit of God would be poured out on men and women. You see, when Israel had come out of captivity and entered into the promised land, they were free for a time, they were independent for a short time, but then all these other powers came in and tried to make the Jews more like them, and then another revolt came, and then some other power would come, right, and, and Israel was independent for a time, and then Rome came, right, and occupied the land, and taxed the people, and even controlled some things that happened in the temple, we even uh, had a hand in choosing the high priest. And so the people were looking for a Messiah that was to come, but Jesus was a great disappointment to many. He was. He was a great disappointment to many. Why? Because they wanted salvation from Rome, and he offered salvation for their souls. They they were looking for an earthly kingdom, but he offered a kingdom that was spiritual and eternal. You see, all the physical examples of the past Pointed to a spiritual reality that was coming, but the people wanted a physical hope. You can see it all throughout in the Gospel of John as you read it over and over again. Jesus' words are, are misunderstood, right? People think he's talking about something physical when really he's talking about an eternal realm, right? And isn't that our problem so often, too, right? We want a physical healing, we want right now a physical touch, we want prosperity, we want the right conditions right now in the physical realm when in reality, all this that we can touch and we can see is going to quickly pass away. But understand today, if we are in Christ, then we know today that the eternal spiritual blessings are ours to receive in Christ, amen? If we can stop being hung up on just the temporary physical desires, and so As we enter into the book of Acts, we know this, that Messiah has come. We need to to read this book with that understanding, this understanding that history is now turning its focus from a nation that is made up of, if you're in the Nochi, physical descendants of Abraham to now spiritual descendants of Abraham. History is, is turning its focus from flesh to spirit, from a physical kingdom to a spiritual one. A much greater lasting kingdom has come than the kingdom of Israel. Yes, God is not done with the Jews, but a new age has come. It's one that the prophets predicted the Messiah has now come. The, the prophet Isaiah said that he would be a light to the nations. Yes, Israel was important. It was the, the, really the crossroads of the world at that time. But understand, God's kingdom is about to invade the entire known Israel is this tiny nation on the surface of the globe. But but in Acts, we're going to see a worldwide invasion of the gospel begin. We caught glimpses of it all in Jesus' life when he went to Samaria, right? And when he went out to the Decapolis. But now, through the body of believers, the whole world is going to hear of salvation in Jesus Christ. We know this if we go back to the very beginning. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the book of Genesis, we know they gave up their authority on earth. They gave it over to Satan. That's why in John chapter 11, Satan is referred to as the ruler of this world, right? But now a new Adam has come and he has taken back the right to the world through complete obedience to the Father. Jesus faced Satan on the cross and he won. And and so, the reason the book of Acts is so exciting is because we're going to see that the world is being reclaimed. Okay? Not for all men, it's only for those who are of the body of Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the book of Acts. Jesus is taking back the land that was lost to the enemy by reclaiming the souls of men and women who hear his voice and respond to him. Now, again, you go back to the Old Testament. You see, the laws of Moses, I, I think so often those laws are misrepresented, they're, they're, they're misunderstood as kind of just these legalistic burdens, right? So often people look at God's law and they think, man, he's just waiting to hit me over the head, right? When I when I don't meet his expectations, he's just waiting to punish me, right? When I don't m- meet this list of rules, but understand when Jesus walked the earth around him, there was, there was freedom and there was love and there was joy and there was peace flocked to him. They wanted to be around him. No one ever spoke like Jesus spoke, and now this sense of his presence was about to become a wind that would sweep the entire globe. Acts 1 verse 3 tells us this. He presented himself alive to them. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is alive, and he's appearing to many. We already talked about the two on the road to Emmaus, right? And the time that he just appears there before the disciples. Now, Paul speaks of these proofs of Jesus' resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, it says this, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received from that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Again, he says all this is in accordance with with what was written, what was prophesied. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Listen, if you're by yourself and and you see something, you can say, maybe I just saw something, right? But 500 people at the same time saw the same thing. He appeared before them, right? Most of whom are still alive, he says. You can go and you can ask them. They saw him, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Paul's saying, I saw Jesus too. He appeared to me, right? It was miraculous. It was it was on the road where he was knocked off his horse. He saw Jesus. Now, these verses are amazing here because they're thought to be the earliest recorded doctrinal statement of the church. They're likely written just after his ascension. But understand, this witness of Jesus' victory over death is so essential to our faith. It is why Easter is so important to us. We celebrate the physical resurrection of Jesus. You see, Greek mythology taught that some men died and they became a god. Their their resurrections, though, were not physical resurrections. They were spiritual resurrections. But Jesus' physical resurrection was so important because it was the fulfillment of the prophecies, yes... But why else was it so important? It was so important because it is the assurance that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. The prophets predicted, Isaiah predicted, that Messiah would be put in the grave. And yet his days would be prolonged. And he would see the fruit of bearing the sins of many. The psalmist declared in in Psalm 1610 that the body of the Holy One would not see decay. Remember, the wages of sin is death, but Jesus is alive, right? He died for our sins, but the grave could not hold him. And this is exactly what the disciples were called to proclaim to the world. Uh, understand, it was right up until a week before Pentecost that Jesus continues to appear to the disciples. He gives them so many convincing proofs. He says, here, touch the wounds in my hand. He sits and he eats with them. Now, why is it so important that he eats with them? Because a ghost can't eat, right? go right through him. But he sits and he eats with them. He's there in the flesh, and he's telling them about what's to come. You see, I believe the disciples had a, had a lot of preconceived ideas from their culture that they needed to overcome, right? They had all these ideas of what Messiah was and, and who he was to be. And, and so Jesus keeps appearing to them, and he keeps on teaching them. Just think about that. Wouldn't it have been so wonderful to be there during that time? just thinking, man, when Jesus is going to show up again, the fear is, right? And he begins to teach and he begins to explain the scripture. He begins to correct all these wrong ideas that we have. And he's going to tell us about what's going on again. How exciting is that? How many of you would want to be a part of that? Right? I want to be there. man. When's Jesus going to show up? I want to tell you, you can be a part of that today. Because that's exactly what happens still today. It's exactly what happens when you're walking with the Lord and you listen for the whispers of the Holy Spirit. You see, as you read the Word of God, as you even dig into the book of Acts this month, I pray that you would understand that the teacher, the Holy Spirit, is present with you. As you open the Word of God, that he can open your mind to to understand the scripture in a new way. We have something even better because we don't need to wait for Jesus to appear. He's with us wherever we go, amen. Jesus said this. He said, it's better for you if I go away. It's actually better for you. He was read that and he said, what do you mean, Jesus? Like, no, no, don't go away. Keep, keep showing up, right? He says, it's better for you. In John 16, 7, he, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit, right? Listen, church. we don't have to wait for Jesus to appear to teach us. The Holy Spirit's with us. Whenever we pray, whenever we open the word, there should be this expectation that Jesus is in the room, right? That the Holy Spirit is in the room to teach us. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus had visited his disciples first in Jerusalem, and then in Galilee. And this visitation, this one, one of the last ones, is back in Jerusalem. It's likely that they had come in, in preparation for Pentecost. It was a, a feast that all male Jews are required to attend, and really. Luke is repeating what Jesus said in Luke 24:49. He said, "Behold, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high." In the second chapter of Acts, Peter is going to explain that this promise was actually proclaimed long beforehand through the prophets. Listen to these promises from the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah 43 verse 3, 44 verse 3 says. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. Joel 2.28. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions even on the male and female servants in those days. I will pour out my spirit how amazing these promises are today, that the people of God are going to receive spiritual refreshment, kind of like water, when it's poured on dry, dusty ground. Can you picture that? When the ground is so dry, it just sucks up all that water. That the people of God are going to be clothed with power from on high. Can I just say, without spiritual refreshment, without the power of the Holy Spirit, there's no way that we can endure the spiritual battles that are before us. Like, there is no way that we can walk in victory. We need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church today desperately, desperately needs the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you talk about the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of thoughts on what that means, okay? We're going to spend some time over the next few weeks talking uh, about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some say it's a second work of grace. Others say it's entire sanctification. Uh, Some see baptism uh, of the Holy Spirit as as a one-time event. It only happens when we're born again. But here's what you're going to see as we continue in in the book of Acts. What happens in chapter 2 happens again in chapter 4. And it happens to the same people, right? So clearly, it's not a one-time event. And whatever your understanding of the Holy Spirit has been, we're going to, again, talk more about this as we go on. But here's what, what I think we all can agree on today, that we all need refreshment and we all need power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need that power to be those witnesses that we talked about being last week, right? This would be a good time for an amen. Amen, amen. amen. We need that power. We, we need that refreshing. You see, the, the testimony of many great men and women of God is that they come to a point in their lives where they realize they need more strength and they need more power than they can muster up on their own. They, they come to a point where they realize, man, they need the supernatural power of God working in their lives in order to enable them to be all that God desires them to be. They, they need the supernatural power of God to help them persevere in the face of trials. And so they come to a point where they cry out and God refreshes. God pours out his spirit and he empowers them by his spirit. If there's one thing I've learned in my last four years as a lead pastor of this church, is I need more strength than I could possibly minister upon my own. And so I can ask the Holy Spirit to refresh me. I, mean, I can ask him to empower me. And he does just that. He does just that. Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus said this. Listen to these words. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who are perfect? Is that what it says? To those who got it all together. To, to only the super spiritual. What does it say? To those who ask him. When it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, listen to me. It's really this. It's a matter of recognizing the need and then asking and knowing that God wants to give you that blessing. He wants to give you the blessing of the Holy Spirit to empower you. And my prayer for you in 2022, for all of us, is that we would surrender more and more to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we would walk by the Spirit. That we would be led by the Spirit. You see, the truth is a natural person is led by natural things natural person is is led by the body, right? All the choices that are made are made to please the body. And so all the choices that are made, they're, they're selfish choices. And only the one who is born again can have a truly unselfish nature in their spirit. You see, when we're born again of the Spirit of God, that spirit renews the mind. And so our choices and our plans and our desires are now rooted in the love of God and the desire to do his will. This is the the battle of the flesh and the spirit that's described in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, right? Because when we come to Christ, our our spirit is now made alive in Christ. It gives us a a desire that contradicts the old nature. And so when I'm led by the spirit of God, my choices are based on my connection with God. My choices are based on my cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And, And so if I'm walking with the Lord, if I'm in communion with the Lord... If I'm in fellowship with other believers, if I'm in the Word of God, then guess what? The Spirit of God is ultimately what prevails in my life, right? I'm being led by the Spirit of God. But if not, listen to me, the flesh can win out even though my spirit is alive in Christ. You understand that? And and so to be filled with the Spirit is to really have the, the Holy Spirit reigning over every area of our lives. And when that happens, we can come to this point where we say, man my desire is just to do your will. When I'm led by the Spirit, I I, I react to outside input at His direction instead of according to my own sinful nature. The Holy Spirit gives us insight and discernment. And boy, do we need discernment today, don't we? To navigate the things that are going on around us. I, I, I have never trusted the wisdom of the world less than I do today. And I recognize I need the Spirit of God to give me discernment. So my prayer is that the Lord would bring the church to that place, that he would bring us all to that place of, of desperation again, where we would realize our greatest need is, is, is not for new programs, it's not for new growth strategies, it's not for amazing facilities. We've been blessed here as a church. But that we would recognize our greatest need is for you. We would recognize our greatest need is for his spirit. To, to be in the book of Acts this week, and you're going to see how it all started, folks. Okay. At, at the very beginning. The very beginning of the church, the disciples realized their great need. You see, they, they had just acted as cowards. They, they they forsook Jesus when when their lives were threatened. And so Jesus is saying, you know what, guys, I'm gonna help you out. Well. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, how did Peter go from acting like a coward to preaching boldly in Acts chapter 2? I mean, you read Acts chapter 2, and and you're like, who is this guy, right? I don't even recognize Peter here. I mean, he's calling people out. He's saying, you crucified the Messiah. You killed the promised one. Well, there's two things that that made these disciples so incredibly bold. Two things that made them so incredibly bold. Number one, I believe it was time spent with a resurrected Jesus. Again, he was—he was present with him. They—they they, they saw him. They heard from him. He began to tie it all together, and all of a sudden, they started to say, "Oh, that makes sense now." They heard him teach all these things that they didn't really understand, but now Jesus is explaining it, right? And, and, and they understand, man. God is on the move. He's—he's he's been on the move. I see His plan. Each one of these disciples would not deny Jesus even when they were faced with death. Why? Because they spent. change in your lives. A a radical transformation is coming for some of you. Yes, I I know sanctification is an ongoing process. It it, it doesn't stop until the day that we die. But some of you, if you're honest today, you would say, I've been stalled. I've been stuck, Pastor. I've just been in the the same place for years. But this is the year you can move forward. It's time to dig into the Word and get a full understanding. as believers, as we enter a new year. We need to be filled again and again with His Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I need refreshing. I need empowerment to live. Because here's a prophetic word for 2022. You're going to face conflict. You're going to face problems. Don't ask me how I know, but I know. All right? We're going to face things this year. And when we do, those things in life can stir up that old nature, right? And, and so when that happens, we need to cry out to God for help. We need to cry out again and again to be filled and empowered, to act from an eternal perspective, right? From the leading of the Holy Spirit and not from our sinful nature. In and, and Acts chapter 1, that's where we are right now. We know what's coming. The, the disciples are about to get their first filling of the Holy Spirit. They're about to be bathed with the Holy Spirit. And when they do, they're going to go out and their lives are going to be a living example of of a living Jesus Christ. They're about to be commissioned and they would never, ever be the same. As we go through the opening chapters of the book of Acts, as you spend time reading this week, I want to challenge you to ask God to give you the promise of the Father. ask Him to give you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Your Heavenly Father promises to give the Holy Spirit to We need the spirit to be fruitful. We need the spirit to renew and, and to change our minds. We really need him as a church to be witnesses to our family, to be witnesses to this county, to be witnesses. we uh-huh.